Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. Our topic tonight is living as a disciple. In our last two sessions of the discipleship series, we first talked about living in the kingdom, kingdom of God that Jesus ushered into the world as he began his ministry, a kingdom where we feel the presence of God, where we hear his voice speaking to us. We fear his, we feel his love enfolding us. We feel forgiveness. We understand that our God is always with us, that he promised us joy and peace, that he will never forsake us, that he holds us in the palm of his hands. This is where disciples live, in this kingdom of God. But we also learned that it's the kingdom that Jesus told us in Matthew that we had to seek. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all will be added to us. It's like that treasure hidden in a field. And once we find it, we know that we have found the essence of what we search for, what we long for, intimacy with God. That this was God's plan for us from the beginning of creation, to live in intimacy with him, to walk and talk with him daily, and to be in his presence where we interact with him. And we know we lost that with the sin of Adam and also with the sin of Adam Sickness and death and pain and suffering enter the world. But God desires us to be in that place he first created. And he set up forth a plan that he tells us through his promises, through the prophets, through all the scriptures in the Old Testament. He tells us his plan to restore us is by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the shedding of blood for the atonement of sin that he is going to send us the Messiah to save us, and that he is going to send us the Holy Spirit to change our hearts so that we will always follow him. We talked about two prophecies out of the many where he said this, but we talked about the prophecy of Jeremiah where God tells us he's making a new covenant with his people, not like the covenant he made with Moses, not like the covenant he made with Abraham, but a new covenant where he says he's going to write his law on our heart, that we will know him, and the root meaning of the word know we discussed as meaning intimacy with God, that kind of physical knowing, where in Genesis 4 it says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. That is the kind of knowing that God said we will all know him intimately. And then he says that remarkable thing that he is going to forgive and forget our sin. And then in the prophecy of Ezekiel, he tells us how he's going to complete that prophecy by pouring his spirit into our hearts and changing them. But we, because we've been in the world, the kingdom of the world, the world has programmed us, programmed us to understand that wrong must be punished. Right is rewarded. So we have grown up with this mentality that if we do right, we are rewarded. And if we do wrong, we must be punished. And our approach to God is lived under that same understanding of right and wrong, that when we commit sin, we have to somehow make up for it. We have to atone for it. 
And when we do that, we ignore the gift of salvation. But in truth, we don't really understand how our sins could be forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus. We're not certain that that is a reality. We doubt God's promise. And because we doubt God's promise, we work to appease God. We work to earn our salvation. And the essence of the whole first session of living in the kingdom was help us to understand that God promised us. He promised us that he's going to change our hearts, that we're going to know him intimately, and that our sins are forgiven and forgotten. And somehow we need a transformation of our minds to begin to understand that we are free from the penalty of sin, but we still have to live the will of God in our lives. And that was the essence of session number two. The title of that one was Equipped for Holiness. How God has equipped us through the death of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit to be holy men and holy women of God. And that entire second session was geared to show us how the work of the Holy Spirit transforms us, changes us, renews our mind, and brings us into a new way of thinking. Our session tonight, Living as Disciples, begins with the simple understanding that we have grasped the concept of living in the kingdom of God. We have grasped the concept that holiness is not something we could do for ourselves, that it is a gift of the Holy Spirit working within us, transforming us from glory to glory into the very image of Christ. And as tonight, as we understand both of those concepts and as we begin to accept those concepts, we're going to talk about what does it look like to live as a disciple in the kingdom of God in the midst of this kingdom of the world. For the kingdom of God is in our hearts. So if nothing else, you should realize by now and understand and accept a simple truth, a spiritual truth as I call it, that God wants to give us more, more blessings, more of his presence, more understanding of who we are destined to be. And as a result of God's desire for us, there's more expected of us as a believer, as a follower of a Christ, and as a disciple. There's more than we can imagine. There's more than we could believe is possible in both of those realms. What we could expect from God and what God expects of us. And all of this is part of the transformation of us into the image of Christ so that we could be doing the works of Jesus and for greater because he has gone to the Father. And that is a statement directly from Jesus Christ in the upper room where he said, it is far better for you to go. For if you do not go, I will not send, the Father will not send the paraclete. But if I go, you are going to do the works that I do and far greater. So our destiny as disciples is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and do the works of Jesus. Now, when we think of the works of Jesus, we think of healing, the blind have sight, the deaf have hearing, the lepers are cleansed, the lame walk, the brokenhearted are set free, the are given hope and set free, the captives are set free. But we can, as disciples, do the work. 
And the way we're going to begin this transformation or the way the Holy Spirit begins this transformation of us is helping us understanding the great gift of Jesus Christ. Help us understand exactly what salvation did for us, exactly who we are called to be. And the best way for us to do that is to immerse ourselves in the Holy Scriptures, to dive into the New Testament and read the New Testament, the words, the actions, the parables, everything that Jesus said, every reference to Jesus, every challenge of Jesus to the disciples. We need to look at them from the eyes of God speaking to us. From the Holy Scriptures, if you understand the simple premise of what they are, they are God's revelation of himself, and they tell us how we are to respond to God. Simply put, that is all the Scriptures is doing for us, revealing God and showing us how we are to respond. So when we read the Scriptures, we need to be reading Scriptures, listening with an open mind, an open heart, open ears, praying to the Holy Spirit to give us a gift of understanding so that we understand what God is saying to us. Now you know, and if you went through Alpha with me, you begin to you you know this from Alpha, that the scriptures there's three things that are going on at one time. There's the incident that is happening. Whatever Jesus is doing, that is going on and it's a reality. The multiplication of the loaves. The incident is that people were hungry. Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes and fed thousands. Simple truth written for us in Scripture. But in that parable, in that message, in that story, there's a message for the church at large, for all of us generally. There's a message in there for us. And that is typically what is the subject of a homily on Sunday. The priest or the deacon preaching, breaking open the word, speaking to the community, the Word of God, as they are inspired to speak it. But beyond that, there's an individual message. And in that individual message is where you need to be when you read Scriptures, searching them to find the message that God is saying to you. And there's a message in the holes and the fishes of what God is saying to you. I'm going to touch on this loaves and fishes a little later in this talk, so hold on for a minute. But all of this, Paul tells us this in his letter to the Corinthians, or Timothy, excuse me, his letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy. He said, remain faithful to what you have learned and believe, because we know from whom we have learned it. Remain faithful to what we have learned and believe. Now, Paul is writing this. What did Paul learn? What is it he believed? We know Saul of Tarsus, before he became Paul, the apostle, was a Pharisee. He denied that Christ was the Messiah. He sought letters of authority from the Sanhedrin to go and arrest the so-called Christians for proclaiming Christ as the Messiah bringing him back to Jerusalem to be tried and convicted and oftentimes put to death. So Paul the Apostle knew the Old Testament, but he saw nothing in the Old Testament 
that referred to Jesus Christ, and he denied that Christ was the Messiah. And here he is telling Timothy, Be faithful to what you have learned and believed, for you know from whom you have learned it. When did Paul become a believer? After the incident where he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. He was knocked down, he was blinded, he was led into the city, he was in the home of a believer, completely lost and blinded, and Ananias came to pray over him for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. His eyes were open, and he immediately began to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. So Paul learned and began to believe after he had this encounter with Christ, after he had the infilling of the Holy Spirit, go to Pentecost, the apostles in the room, the Holy Spirit comes upon all of them, they spill into the streets and started proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And before that, they went hiding. So Paul is talking about what we have learned and what we are learning comes from this transformation power of the Holy Spirit. And we come to believe and believe firmly in the promises of God. So he's saying, be faithful to this. And then he goes on to say, and you have known that sacred scriptures are capable of giving you wisdom for salvation so that you might be equipped for every good work. So Paul is telling us to remain faithful, remain faithful to the scriptures, for they have the power to help us understand this gift of salvation, and they have the power to equip us for every good work. And what the Scriptures do for us as we dive into them and begin to encounter Christ in the Scriptures, remember Christ in his own words said, If you see me, you see the Father. So as we encounter Christ, we're going to be encountered God the Father. And Jesus in their upper room also said of the Holy Spirit, he said, he only speaks what he hears from me. So the understanding of the scriptures, this Holy Spirit working within us, is a consistent word. He only speaks what Jesus says to him. Jesus only speaks what the Father tells him. The Father tells us, he promises us, he's going to be with us forever. And he holds us in the palms of his hand. So as this transformation continues in us, we begin to be transformed into the very image of Christ. We become more joyful. We become more peaceful. We don't have to earn our salvation, but there's a deeper calling on our life now. We begin to understand those words of Christ when he said, if you lust for a woman, you have committed adultery in your heart. It's not any longer the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus moves us to a higher standard. So as the Holy Spirit helps us overcome sin in our life, we begin to understand that we are called to do more, to live a more holy life. And that holiness comes through the transformation of our minds and our hearts as we become one with Christ and become the image of Christ. So you and I become more joyful, more loving, more kind, more faithful, more gentle, we have more self-control. We have more patience and peace. In fact, what I'm just reciting is from Paul's letter to the Galatians where he lifts the fruit of the Holy Spirit working within us. We are totally changed. 
And this change we talked about last week when we talked about the, this, how we are equipped from holiness, that it says in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, that all of us, gazing on the glory of the Lord, putting ourselves before Jesus, encountering him in the scriptures, encountering him in, my pray- in our prayers, seeking his mind, seeking his wisdom, seeking his touch, seeking his heart, that as we do these things, he says that we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory as from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, as we bring ourselves to Jesus, moves us from glory to glory to glory, from sinfulness to holiness, all through the action of the Holy Spirit. We've heard it before. Martha and Mary, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, has chosen the better part. What was she doing sitting at the feet of Jesus? Listening, listening, hearing the word of Christ, absorbing those words. While Martha was in the kitchen doing the works of hospitality, Martha chose for herself that day how she would serve Christ. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus learned what is pleasing to God and began to do those things. So our being transformed is not so we can be busy workaholics for God. It's so that we could be doing the works of the one who sent us, so that we could be doing the things that Jesus did and far greater because he has gone to the Holy Spirit. And as we do this, and as we become transformed, as we begin this road of discipleship, living in the kingdom of God, we automatically become centered on serving other people. We automatically begin to be concerned with doing the will of God, the one who sent us. And we all automatically become centered on proclaiming the kingdom of God is among us, helping people who are in darkness come into the light, helping people who are despairing have hope, and who are helping people who are dead in Christ come alive in Christ. This, All of this is the work of disciples. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit inspiring us to do these things, guiding us, showing us to how we should do the will of our Father instead of deciding for ourselves. For Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he said that as the Spirit works in us, we learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We learn what is pleasing to the Lord, not as the world told us what is pleasing to God, but as God, the Holy Spirit, is leading us to do what is pleasing to God. Jesus in that upper room said the Holy Spirit is going to teach us and remind us of everything he ever said, everything he ever did. The Holy Spirit's going to help us recall it. And as we encounter what he did in the scriptures, we are going to begin to discover God's will for us and how he is calling us to serve him. Paul in Galatians 4 says, The will of God is our holiness. That is the first step, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we begin this transformation from sinners to holy men and women, we begin to seek this will of God And we begin to do this will of God as disciples, being transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. Paul in 
Jesus, in the upper room, said the Holy Spirit will glorify him. The Holy Spirit will teach us the truth about sin, that sin is forgiven through his death and resurrection. He's going to teach us the truth about condemnation, that there is no condemnation for those who believe in Christ. And he's going to teach us the truth about justice, that he, the Lamb of God, was the one justification for our sins. All of this the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us. What we really need to learn as we grow into this discipleship, we need to learn how to follow Jesus. His simple command, follow me. In fact, last week we heard the call of Peter and his brother Simon and James and John, and they seemed so easily, easily to leave everything behind and follow him. And I can tell you from my own life's experience, it is not that easy to change our way of thinking. And that's what we typically are trying to do by self-will, change how we think to live as holy men and women. And this is what we tried to cover last week, that we need to stop trying to be holy men and women and surrender our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit who will transform us into holy men and women. And as we become holy men and women, we will learn what is pleasing to God, and we begin to learn to do his will, to do the will of the one who sent us. We will also discover that we have rid ourselves of sins of the past, but we also understand there's a stricter standard. If you strike me on the cheek, turn. If once somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If they ask for your cloak, give them your tunic as well. If you lend to somebody, don't expect repayment. There is a higher standard for those who are called to the Supper of the Lamb. And we are called to be disciples, and we are called to live a higher standard. And it comes to us automatically. We begin to understand what Jesus said when he said that parable of the seed falling to the ground, that unless we die, we cannot have life. We need to die to the old self who lived in the world and live as a new self living in the kingdom of God. We begin to understand Jesus' word that says, if you acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you do not acknowledge me, I will not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So we begin to understand our call to discipleship is a call to proclaim the kingdom of God, to be faithful to making God's name known among all his people, to making God's name known to those who simply do not understand. And oftentimes those who do not understand are people just like we were before we heard this message of discipleship, that they're trying to earn their salvation. They're trying to please God by becoming holy, and they're missing the mark. In order to be that kind of believer, we need to look at the life and the works of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, if we are going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, we need to understand what Jesus did. And I'm not talking about the miracles. I'm not talking about walking on water. I'm not talking about multiplication of loaves. 
I'm talking about we need to do the practical things that Jesus did. And I'm going to tell you three things that I see Jesus constantly doing in the scriptures that we as disciples need to incorporate into our lives. And the first thing I see in Jesus, he was always obedient to the Father. He looked to the Father. I only do what the Father tells me. How many times in Scripture do you see Jesus turning his eyes to heaven, looking heavenward to make an eye-to-eye contact with the Father who sent him to the earth to die for our sins, seeking the will of his Father, seeking the authority to go ahead and do what he was about to do, seeking the wisdom of God and how God wanted him to act at that moment. Standing before the tomb of Lazarus, he raises his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, I know you always hear me. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he says, you're going to see the glory of God if we roll back this stone where all hope was gone. He was dead four days. There was going to be a stench. The Jews believe on the fourth day. On the third day, the soul led, left the body. There was no hope. And yet Jesus deliberately delayed his arrival for four days. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Doing the will of God. Performing a miracle that is unheard of. This is what you and I need to do. Begin to get obedient to God. But to do that, we need to hear his voice. We need to be able to hear the voice of God speaking to our hearts which says we've got to be in a place where we do that. And that's the other thing you see Jesus doing. He does two things to put himself in the presence of God. And one of those things he did, the scriptures tell us that Jesus went to the temple daily, as was his habit. How many times do the scriptures in the scriptures do we see Jesus in the temple, doing the will of his Father, speaking, performing miracles, challenging the Pharisees in the temple, but also in the temple. He did what every Jew did in the temple. On the Sabbath, they went into the temples and they sang the Psalms. They sang the Psalms. They sang hymns of praise to God. They came together as a community of faith, giving praise and worship to God. This is exactly what we do in our Mass. You see our Jewish roots in the Mass. We come together and we sing songs of praise to God. But it's more than just an individual song. It is a song of unity bringing us together as a community, worshiping the God who loves us. And through those songs, we become one. One body, one heart, one mind. That is the purpose of why we sing. And also in those beginning prayers, we sing a hymn of praise, glory to God in the highest. Pay attention to the words. You alone are holy. You alone, you alone. We bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. Listen to the words. We are singing a hymn of praise to God. It's the beginning of the Our Father that Jesus taught us. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Glory is the name of God. All the prayers we have. So as a Jew, he sang these psalms and became one with the community. Then they broke open the word. They rolled back the scroll and they read from the law and the prophets. They read from the Torah. 
So he got the word of God, his father's words, sinking into his heart. Then the rabbi stands up, just as a priest or deacon stands up after proclaiming the gospel. And they broke open the word for the people to apply them to their lives. And Jesus not only listened to the teaching, he taught, taught the word of God to the people of God. This is what he did in the temple. And after all that, they said prayers of benediction. And we in our Mass, we move in to the liturgy of the Eucharist, this central part of our Mass, this important part, not more important than the liturgy of the Word, but the part where we do anamesis, that we begin to remember our story, the story of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice on the cross. The Holy Spirit comes down upon the Eucharist. It becomes the very presence of Christ among us. And then we receive that body of Christ. We stand before a Eucharistic minister who holds up the body of Christ and acknowledges the body of Christ. And we bow in adoration and say, Amen. Amen, meaning, yes, this is Jesus. This is Jesus who died for my sins. This is Jesus who died so that I might be in right standing before the Father. This is Jesus so I can be a holy, holy in the presence of God. And we do it so often. We fail to oftentimes to seize that moment to be with Christ and let Christ minister to our hearts. And Jesus, and the third thing he did that we can incorporate in our lives, he went off by himself to pray. As a Jew, he would have prayed three times a day, as Jews have done for thousands of years. The three prayers, morning, afternoon, and evening, instituted by the patriarchs. Abraham instituted morning prayer, Isaac afternoon prayer, Jacob evening prayer. And for thousands of years, the Jews have said those prayers just like our church as the office where clergy and members of the body of Christ say those prayers every day. Read them. They're the prayers of the church. So Jesus would have prayed the prayers that every Jew prayed using the same words, the same formula over and over and over again every day. But he also went off by himself to pray privately, where he spoke to the Father and poured out his heart. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out to God to let the cup pass. And we hear the voice of the disciples watching him pray, saying, Lord, teach us to pray. As Jews, they prayed those three prayers a day. They were faithful to the temple. But they saw in Jesus something they didn't never saw before. Personal, private prayer that rends the emotions, the full gamut of human emotions. Read the Psalms, the Psalms of David. He is in agony, he's in pain, he's despairing, he's fearful, he's doubtful, he's lonely, he's angry, he's joyful, he's surprised. And he stands at the wonder of God, and he acknowledges every emotion that a human can have in his prayers to God. 
And we are invited to do those three things, to be obedient to God, to be faithful to the community, that we come together each Sunday as a body of Christ to give thanks to God for the great gift of Jesus Christ and to be recharged, renewed, so we can go into the world and proclaim the kingdom of God. Knowing that we got brothers and sisters standing with us, supporting us, encouraging us, and praying for us. So we need to begin to do these three things in our lives. And as we begin to do those three things in our lives, this transforming power of the Holy Spirit will begin to work within us. So we dive into the Scriptures. We listen for the voice of God and become obedient to it. We draw our strength from the community that we live in. And then we go out into the world, fortified by a personal prayer to proclaim the kingdom of God. Listen to this, my brothers and sisters. I'm going to depart. I'm going to read a passage from Scripture for you to help you understand that the more and more we become centered on Christ, the more we can acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, the more we understand the freedom he gave us through his death on the cross, the more we're able to choose to say, I will follow you. Follow him. Notice it's always a choice. Mary had a choice. Martha had a choice. Simon and Peter and Andrew and John and Matthew, all of them. Mary, Joseph, all of them. Always a choice. We can follow him, or we could turn away and do our own thing. But once we begin this path of discipleship, we're going to find there is more in store that God wants to do, more blessings we can receive, more wisdom we can learn, more places we can serve. Listen to this passage of Scripture. I want to show you how these things from God work when we're beginning to listen to God rather than just listening to Scripture. First reading is going to come from Second Kings, chapter 4. Then I'm going to read a New Testament after that one and try to connect the two for you. This first reading from Second Kings is a familiar story. You've heard it before, and it goes like this. A certain woman the wife of one of the guild prophets, complained to Elisha, My husband, your servant, is dead. You know that he was a God-fearing man, yet now one of his creditors comes to take my two children as his slaves. How can I help you? Elisha answered her. How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? I pause a minute. Elisha knew what she was saying. Why would he say, how can I help you? Why would he say, what do you have in the house? She was saying, my husband was faithful. He was a man of God. He spent his days in the temple. His days serving God. And now he's dead. And I'm left destitute. Why have you done this to me, God? Where are you when I need you? She's crying out. 
Is this the reward for being a servant of God? She sees no hope. She's really complaining more than asking. How can I help you? What do you have in the house? Listen to those words. Think of them not from Elisha, but from God. After complaining to him, after saying you've abandoned me, his voice comes, what do you have? How can I help? She answers, Alicia, she said, this servant of yours has nothing in the house but a jug of oil. Go out and borrow from all your neighbors as many vessels as you can. Then come back, close the door on yourself and your children and pour the oil from your jug into all the vessels. And as each is filled, set it aside. She went out and did so, closing the door on herself and on her children. And as they handed her the vessel, she would pour in oil. When all the vessels were filled, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. There is none left, he answered her. Then the oil stopped falling. She went out and told the man of God about the oil in the vessels, and he said to her, Go and sell the oil to pay your creditors. And with what remains, you and your children will live. Now on the surface, this is a simple story, another miracle. Another miracle among the many miracles in the Scriptures. Elisha's mentor Elijah did a similar miracle with a woman and a flower. The flower was running out. She was going to bake something for herself and her son. Then she was going to die. And Elijah asked her, bake him a cake first. Listen to the challenge in those words. Listen to the challenge. Trust me. All seems lost. And if you do what I ask, it's even more desperate. One step closer to finality, to a final ending. One step closer to death. I believe there's a companion verse companion scripture to the story of the oil in the vessels. And it comes from us to us from Paul. Second Corinthians chapter four. And again it's a familiar verse. You've heard it before. It says, We hold this treasure in earthen vessels. We hold this treasure. What is this treasure we hold? We go back to Paul's talking about be faithful to what we believed and have learned. What is this treasure? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of salvation. All the gifts of wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us. We hold Christ himself in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit poured into us. 
and baptism and confirmation. The apostles, as they began to evangelize, they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and they prayed over people for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it dwells within us. And we need, as Paul, as, as, as James says, to stir it into flame. We hold this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing power may be of God and not from us. How do we do the works that Jesus did by the power of God within us? It's not us at work. It is the Holy Spirit at work within us. So here we are. We are one of the vessels that God wants to fill up with this oil of gladness, as it's called in the Old Testament, the balm of Gilead, the Holy Spirit. We bring this earthen vessel to be filled with this treasure. And Paul goes on to say, everything indeed is for you, so that the grace bestowed on an, in abundance on more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow for the glory of God. Everything that God has done is for me, it's for you, it's individual, it's corporate, but it is very, very individual. Everything. So that grace, the Holy Spirit bestowed on more, in abundance, on more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow for the glory of God. The more, the story of the vessels and the widow I believe it has a deeper meaning for us than just a miracle story. She was told to borrow vessels from her neighbors. All the vessels she had in the house, go get more. What do you think would have happened if she would have gone beyond her neighborhood to other homes in her little village? What if she had gone to the local potter? And borrowed vessels. What if she'd gone into the next village? And let's assume she did that. Would the oil have kept flowing? As long as she put a vessel in front of it, it was filled. Such a very simple message in there God is telling us. As long as we put this earthen vessel before God, it will be filled. There's another simple message in there. The more of the vessel of ourselves we can empty out and bring before God to fill, the more God will fill it. I think the message for us is fairly simple. We need to empty ourselves of all the things that keep us from embracing what God wants to offer us. We have been formed by the world. We need to begin to be formed by the kingdom of God. Remember when Peter called Jesus the Messiah and he said, no mere man has revealed this to you. The very next sentence and verse in that scripture, Peter was, was rebuking Jesus for saying he was going to Jerusalem to die. And Jesus rebukes Peter. And he says, you're thinking as men think, not as God thinks. 
And we, as in pro our faith, have for a long time been thinking as men think, as the world thinks. And we have this do-itself spirituality, this do-itself holiness. And we need to learn to empty ourselves out to live as disciples and let the oil of gladness come into us and fill us. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is more dependent on us, our ability to receive, than it is on enemy limitation on God to give. How much do we want to receive? Then empty ourselves. We all want blessings in our life. Then then we need to learn how to bring a larger self before God. Bring before God a larger cup to fill. Enlarge our ability to receive God's blessings. Look at the givens in our life as blessings instead of complaining about them. Give thanks for the vision we have, even though our vision is failing. Give thanks for the hearing we have, even though our hearing is failing. Give thanks for the health we have, even though it's difficult for us. Give thanks for the spouses we have, even though we complain about them. Give thanks for what we do have, the job we have, even though we hate it. Give God, begin to give thanks. Begin to give thanks for the the very blessings that you do have, even if they're not what you want at the moment. Instead of looking at things that are lacking, instead of seeing no hope in certain death as a widow did, Do what Elijah said is answer the question, what do you have? What do you have? I have life. I have a home. I have a job. I have an income. I have a family. I have a desire. I have a desire to be a disciple. It's the loaves and the fishes all over again. In that isolated place, the disciples tell Jesus, send them away. It's getting late. They need something to eat. What did Jesus say to them? Feed them yourselves. We can't do that. We don't have enough money. It's impossible to feed these people. No, Jesus said, I didn't ask you what you didn't have. I said, do it yourself. What do you have? He says. There's a boy here with a few loaves and a few fish. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. And he blessed it and gave it to them, and they went out, 12 disciples, handfuls of food. I can imagine my mind says by the time it's broken up, all the fish and all the bread's in the hands of 12 men. Jesus is left with nothing, and they go out into the crowd. Wonder what do we do when we get back? How far can we go? I got a handful of food. And they go back to Jesus and there's more. And they go back to Jesus and there's more. And they go back to Jesus and there's more. 
God has more he wants to give us, brothers and sisters, more than he wants to give us, more he wants to give us. And we need to keep going back, enlarging the vessel that we have, bringing the vessel that we are before him, giving thanks for all things. This is the life of a disciple. And instead of looking at what we don't have, looking at a lack of giftedness, what do we have? I have a desire. Give it to me, he says. Give it to me. And what you're going to find is a life filled with hope and peace and joy, a life lived in the presence of God, fueled by the Spirit, hearing the words of God speaking to our heart, feeling His touch, feeling His embrace, His forgiveness, His mercy, understanding the things of God so clearly that we can help others understand. We have only tasted what God wants to give us. And God says he set a banquet before us. And we haven't even finished the appetizers yet. We need to bring ourselves before God. Gaze on the faith, on the glory of the Lord and be transformed from glory to glory. But this sitting at the feet of Jesus, this bringing ourselves before God is not a passive thing. It takes willpower and strength and a desire to surrender. I mean, really let go, surrender. And I know this from my own life, but we need to have that desire. Let me tell you a very quick story. When Ann and I married in 1963 and left our home state of Louisiana, we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Walked into a parish of St. Anne's. And the minute I walked in, it was Vatican II was concluding. The reforms were taking place. The altar was turned around. Mass was in the vernacular. And I walked in with my wife into this community of faith, the faith the first time. And I heard them sing the songs. I heard them respond to the prayers. And I saw in their demeanor and in their voice and in their faces a faith that I knew I did not have. I saw a joy that I knew I did not have. I saw a belief in God that I knew I did not have. I saw a love of God I knew I did not have. And I wanted what they had. I was deficient and I knew it. But it was their joy that drew me. And I knew that it I needed to find it. And I thought if I just got involved, I could get what they got. So the first thing I did at St. Anne's, I volunteered. I became what they called a money changer. Me and two other people sat in the rectory every Sunday morning counting the offertory collection, tabulating all the numbers, recording them, and making deposits. And then I began an usher. I was a good usher helping people find seats. I would greet them, welcome them to St. Anne's. Thought if I sounded joyful, maybe I could somehow acquire the joy they had. I got more involved. I got involved in social activities, behind the scenes, setting up, taking down, working in the kitchen. Started working on the bingo. Also became a bingo caller 
and the pinnacle of success, the chair of the bingo. I hate bingo, by the way. Father Walt used to ask me to go down to St. Catherine's. I told him I've been to hell, Father Walt. I don't want to ever want to go back there. I was involved. People knew me. They called me by name, but I still didn't have what they had. It took me 10 years of searching. 10 years. Three years after I left that parish of St. Anne's, I finally said to God, I know you're calling me. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to follow you. We were living in Vermont at the time. Oh, it was more than three years. It was seven years. I was in Vermont at the time. And I drove up into the Green Mountains as high as my car would go. The road ran out. I got out and walked some more. Sat on a rocky overcrop overlooking a little town of Bennington, Vermont. Sat there all day. The song, How Great Thou Art, brings back memories every time I hear it. There was a little stream running below me. It's a gentle breeze blowing. The birds were singing. And God kept inviting me. And I kept telling God, I don't know what this is, and I don't know what it means, and I don't know where it's going, and I don't know how to respond. I didn't ask you what you didn't know, David. I said, follow me. And near the end of the day, before the sun set, I finally said, yes. I'm going to follow you, Lord. I have no idea where it's going to lead, but I'm going to follow. God desires to make us holy, my brothers and sisters. He wants us to take on his values, his attitude, his character, his servanthood. God desires that we become transformed by the renewal of our minds and that we put on a new self, creating God's way of holiness and righteousness. Paul wrote that in Ephesians. But this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and this was what it means to become a disciple. But we have to understand, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he said, this is God working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. That day I understood that passage. Giving a desire to obey him. Obey him. And the power to do what pleases him. It's a choice. It's a choice we make every day. And once we make it, the transformation will begin. If we read scripture, if we set out to encounter Jesus, if we're obedient to God, if we're faithful to the community service, and that community of St. Anne's was a light that drew me in. They had the joy that drew me in. And St. Basil's could be that as we begin this road to discipleship, if we become disciples, people walking in the door of St. Basil's will be like me walking in the doors of St. Anne's.
and they will see what we have, and they will know, as I knew that day, I didn't believe the way they believed. I didn't love God the way they loved God, and yet I wanted to. That is doing the things that Jesus did and far greater, is showing people the very essence of God and what it means to be a disciple. We need to make a choice to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us. And as we do, Paul once again tells us we will grow in every way to be like him who is the head of the church. But understand, spiritual growth is not a passive thing. It takes effort. We have to read the scriptures. We have to have a daily prayer life. We have to never absent ourselves from the community. If we live by the Spirit, then we have revealed to us the things of God. Paul tells us that again. In 1 Corinthians, and he goes on to say, the Spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depths of God. Among human beings, who knows what pertains to that person except the spirit of that person? Similarly, no one knows what pertains to God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the things which are freely given us by God. And who has known the mind of the Lord? so as to counsel him, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the minds of Christ, brothers and sisters. And because of that, we live a life that shows hope. We have a life, live a life that shows that we have love. And we live a life that shows that we have surrendered our will to God's will. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.